Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 157, and we're reviewing Konosuba, God's Blessing on this Wonderful World, season one. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. So we promised a while back that we would keep everyone posted on um, our progress with the anime that our listeners forced us to give another chance to. So if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, um, we had an episode um, not too long ago. It was episode 150 of Strictly Anime, anime that we dropped. Um, and we talked about dropped anime, obviously. And at the end, we asked our listeners to vote to decide which anime from our respective list um, we would have to give another chance to. We would have to, you know, try rewatching. So I landed with Kaguya-sama Love is War and Carl landed with... Orbital Children. Yes, that's right. So we said that we're going to keep everyone updated as we make our way through these shows. Um, well, here's an update. I haven't started Kaguya-sama yet. <laughs> and I haven't started Orbital Children. <laughs> I swear I'm going to start Kaguya-sama, just like I promised, just like we promised. But I'm like really in the throes of watching Golden Kamui. Like, you know, when you just you, you watch an anime and you're like, I'm enjoying this. I'm going to ride this high. I don't really want to watch anything else until I've either made substantial progress on this show or i finished it that's where i'm at with golden cowboy i'm enjoying it a lot and i'm like i'm gonna ride this high i'm gonna keep watching it as long as i can until i get burnt out um especially being a, a binge watcher and yeah i just once i i kind of fizzle out of golden cowboy either finishing it i guess catching up or um taking a break then i'll jump into kaguya-sama how did you even get into golden cowboy um i've heard a lot of about it and i've heard that the story is really good but that it also has some like really good humor infused and it sometimes gave off well i've heard that it sometimes gives off like gintama vibes but nowhere near like the balance of comedy and drama that gintama has but i was interested i'm like that's cool i, I enjoy that blend um and i would say it does that really really well um it does have uh, moments of comedy or humor embedded in like really weird spots, very unexpected spots, but they always hit. It's it's always great. Um, so yeah, that's I'd heard good things about it, heard about the comedy, and I was like, fuck it, I'll watch it. Um, because I think the final season is due to premiere somewhat soon, so now's a perfect time for me to catch up so I can watch that final season as it airs. So that was my motivator to pick it up, and I like it. I think I only know of one of our friends shared this the scene where it's a <laughs> two two guys fighting each other but using their their dicks. Oh yeah, I haven't gotten there yet, but okay. I've seen that scene. <laughs> it's kind of like how um there's that scene in Gintama where Gintoki and I can't remember who he's fighting, but they're flinging poo at each other. Yeah, you showed me. It's like colored poop. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. And that was one of the first clips I ever saw of Gintama. And I'm like, what is this show? I need to watch it immediately. Um, See, so yeah, that that clip, the Golden Conway clip, um, was also another driving factor for me to finally start watching it. And on my end with Orbital Children, it's, it's kind of like that SpongeBob meme where he yawns and says, nah, I don't really feel like it. <laughs> um, but no I, I i do plan on watching orbital children it's only six episodes i think i can easily get through that uh but as i've mentioned many times recently i'm trying to clear my backlog of spring anime 
uh, that I haven't finished. Uh, I did just wrap up uh, Ranking of Kings. What's it called? Treasure Treasure Chest of Courage, which I actually enjoyed, even though for the most part it was like an anthology that filled in the gaps of what happened in season one. I will say that the the last episode of that, however, does cut into stuff that happens after season one. So, oh shit! So I should watch it. Yeah, and a lot of the other like short stories are are very heartwarming. Especially there's there's one with a young Dida and Boji that I really enjoyed. Um, so that's all finished. Uh, but I guess since we're talking about isekai this episode, I got back into what's what's the hold, hold on I had I wanted to get the the name right reborn as a vending machine I now wander the dungeon. What's the word for vending machine? Jidohan baiki. Jidohan baiki ni there you go. Yeah, that's kawata it. Ore wa mekyo samayo. Hopefully, I, <laughs> I just like got I, some of that right. I like saying the Japanese term for vending machine, Jidohan Baiki. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this looks like, just the premise of this is like Isekai has stretched itself too thin, but I am enjoying this show more than I thought. Maybe it's because I have an affinity for Japanese vending machines, uh, but, you know, I, I think th- this is a more unique take on what to expect from an Isekai, even though I haven't watched many Isekai um, and it's just fun to, cause like this guy, he, he gets isekai to this world and suddenly becomes a vending machine for whatever fucking reason. Uh, but he also has this ability to change into other types of vending machines rather than just the typical one that off or like dispenses, uh, drinks. And he uses that to his advantage in certain situations. Like a recent episode I watched is where there are these bunch of guys who are trying to go after a girl and, and, you know, do naughty things with her, but to draw their attention away from her, he turns into a vending machine that dispenses pornography magazines. And so this, these guys notice, and then um, they pick up magazines and they're, they go their separate ways saying like, Oh, I'm tired. I'm going to turn in for the night or I'm going to go to the restroom or one guy, says oh i have something else to do um so just clever things like that in this isekai that i really enjoy um but yeah that's my long-winded answer for why i haven't watched orbital children yet (laughs) i actually ended up dropping vending machine isekai um but i'll save my thoughts on on that and, and why i dropped it for when we talk about that um in our patreon bonus episode because uh, each and every season, we share our final thoughts on everything that we watched uh, in our, our Patreon bonus episodes. So I'll talk more about it there. But yeah, I did end up dropping it after three episodes. Although I could be convinced to give another try if you end up really liking it. So you'll have to keep me posted. Yeah, for me, it's not like the sh- the show is just pulling strings with trying to come up with an insert here, Isekai. Uh, but yeah, we'll see because I still have, I mean, the show is still currently airing and I have a couple more episodes before I catch up. So yeah, I guess everyone who is on our Patreon will hear our final thoughts on this and the other anime from summer. 
And we'll continue to keep you guys updated on Kaguya-sama and Orbital Children. I swear soon we're going to start these <laughs> and have an actual update other than we're going to watch them soon. Um, but speaking of shows that our listeners have been clamoring Har i was gonna say harping <laughs> that's me have been <laughs> harping um, is a, a bad i know that's why i was like that's not a good word uh, our listeners have been enthusiastically recommending specifically for you to watch we have konosuba season one for a long time you guys have been telling carl that he should watch konosuba because i've watched it I've been telling him to watch it. Then I was like, guys, tell him to watch it. And then you told him to watch it. And here we are. He's finally watched it. <laughs> I know. I didn't expect to get to Konosuba so quickly. Uh, but I feel like we've talked about it a lot this year on Strictly Anime. So, you know, why not? And like I said earlier, I'm not too familiar with the isekai genre. But I, I know that this isekai is very beloved in the anime community. So now it's time to understand why. And like I said, I've seen Konosuba before. I watched it, I think, last year. Um, yeah, I think so. I want to say it was last year. Um, and I blew through all of it. I, I watched all the seasons and then got through the movie within like two days, one or two days. I just I loved it so much. It was so funny. And it gave me the same feeling that I got when I watched The Devil's a Part-Timer season one. Just like mm. really good humor that just hits and doesn't try too hard, but with a story that's going somewhere. I Since watching The Devil's a Part-Timer season one, I have been like searching for a comedy anime that gave me the best of both worlds, the best of the comedy with like a story that's interesting. Granted, Konosuba season one doesn't focus too much on like the actual plot um, you get hints of that, but it gets better in the other seasons. But either way, I was looking for that forever, and then along comes Konosuba, and I'm like, this is exactly what I've wanted for a long time. And um, with the, the disappointment that The Devil's a Part-Timer has been with the latest seasons, um, I'm glad that Konosuba has held up through these few seasons plus the movie. So I'm excited for Carl to keep watching. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's reassuring. And I know earlier this year you had the... Megumin spinoff so I think Konosuba is still still going strong um, and yeah it's, it's funny that you mentioned Devil's a Part-Timer because that's a, a reverse isekai um, but from my end uh, I, I, I still haven't found a show or an anime that's made me laugh as much as watching The Devil's a Part-Timer season one but I will say that Konosuba this season comes very close because it's still anime comedy at its finest because it's like their humor is is irreverent it's tongue-in-cheek and it plays around with what i assume to be isekai and, and fantasy tropes uh i i think i'd like to think of this as sort of the anime version of it's always sunny in philadelphia oh yeah i could see that <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have kazuma and all of these or like these three other crazy characters who, you know, they, they try to get by in this world, but it never ends up in the way that they had all expected. Okay, wait, now I want to match them. I would say um, Aqua is definitely the Charlie of the group. <laughs> okay. Right? I, yeah, I can The useless, see stupid one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kazuma, I feel like he would be Dennis. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Dennis for sure. Um, Megumin is probably D. 
Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like Meg- Megumin and Kazuma, like, they have, like, the same vibes the way Dennis and Dee do as twins, like, mm-hmm. right? And then Mac, Mac darkness. as darkness. Yeah, because Mac can be kind of stupid in that way sometimes. But, like, sometimes Mac has, like, ideas that, and he, like, runs with it. Whereas, like, darkness seems competent. So, okay, Mac <laughs> seems competent on the surface, just like darkness seems competent on the surface. But they're both exhibitionists. But, but they're both, yeah. But they're both, like, idiots, like, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, when it comes to their true self. So I feel like Mac could be a good match for, for darkness or vice versa. Plus, they have real names that are revealed, like, in their respective series. Like, Mac's real name is not Mac. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And yeah. darkness, <laughs> we'll find out, I think, in episode 10 here that she has a... Very weird name. Um, <laughs> this just reminds me because, you know, I think we did an episode earlier this year of casting anime characters in The Office. Maybe we should do one for casting anime characters in It's Always Sunny. And it would just be all the characters from <laughs> yeah, Konosuba. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I have to call out right away two of my favorite things about Konosuba, which I was really excited to relive through this, um, this rewatch. The first is Cosmo's voice actor. Just like phenomenal voice acting, the way he, I think his voice acting makes the humor what it is for Kazuma's like comedic scenes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just fantastic. I'm pulling up his name here. It's uh, Jun, Jun Fukushima. Yeah, really good. Like, there's just something about the way he voice acts as Kazuma that is, again, just like almost like this like dry humor that hits mm-hmm. every time. And one of my favorite things in Konosuba. Is whenever someone's like Cosmo, like they call out Cosmo's name, and he's like, "Yes, I'm Cosmo." Yeah. <laughs> like, Hi, Cosmo does. What's the point of that? <laughs> but it's like really subtle in the background, mm-hmm. like, like as the other person's like talking, he's just like, "Yep, I'm Cosmo." <laughs> it's so stupid. I don't know why why he does it, but I love it. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that probably just goes back to irreverent humor, like humor that doesn't need to be there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think yeah, he just has this sort of. To take an analogy from like The Office, like uh, Kazuma's voice actor, it has the quality of like Jim at times, but then it has the quality of Dwight in other times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, since we're talking about voice cast, Jun Fukushima, he's also done Formaggio in JoJo Part Five. As oh well shit! As, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, the owner uh, Kobayashi in Your Boy Kong Min, um, the guy who owned the bar. Uh, and, you know, the other three main characters are also voiced by prominent voice actors. Aqua is Sora Amamiya, who most people know as Chizuru from Rent a Girlfriend. Which and- is wild to think that Chizuru and Aqua <laughs> yeah. have the same voice actors because they are completely opposite characters. Yeah, I would not have connected Sora Amamiya with, with Aqua until I looked up the, the cast list uh, right before this recording. Uh, Megumin. He's voiced by Uriye Takahashi, who's one of your favorite uh, VAs. Yeah, and that's the Megumin role is actually the role that got me to fall in love with Uriye Takahashi as a voice actress. Oh, okay. So that brings me to a question I'll bring up later. But uh, yeah, Uriye Takahashi is known for Takagi-san, uh, Kamiya in the current adaptation of Ruroni Kenshin, um, and Yuzuriha from this year in uh, Jikoku Raku or Hell's Paradise. Then you have Darkness, who's voiced by Ai Kayano. Um, not too familiar with her roles, but she was Alice in Sword Art Online Aliceization, which we talked about in, um, I think it was the previous episode where we were talking about, uh, guessing an anime through its openings and endings. 
Sylphiette in Mushoku Tensei. I don't know if you know who that character is. Yeah. Um, and I know this character from bottom tier character Tomozaki, which is Fuka Kikuchi. So, yeah, again, a lot of great voice actors in this series. Um, and the, the, the big four, I guess I'll call them, uh, really do carry this show and this story. They're all great. Like, they're really, really good at their respective characters. None of the voice acting ever feels forced or try hard, especially for the the comedy. Um, and I just, I love it. I think they they were cast perfectly. And so my question that stems from this is, which of the four is your favorite character? Because I feel like Megumin is the standout for everybody. And that's probably why she has her spinoff. Um, but... I'm curious who you would pick as your favorite. Okay, well, that actually ties into the other thing that I love about Konosuba. I love Megumin. But (laughs) funny enough, if I had to pick my favorite character, it's probably Kazuma. He's just so fucking funny. I just Mm -hmm. love his character so much. But of the girls, I love Megumin. She's one of my my favorite female characters. Um, I, I think she's so cute, so funny. Uh, I love her outfit. Yeah, I just love everything about her. I don't have a Megumin figure yet, so that's on the uh, that's on the list, the shopping list for figures. I'm pretty sure that Pop Up Parade just announced one for her, um, in in tandem with her current or with the anime spinoff that came up or came out earlier this year. Um, yeah, I'd have to go with Kazuma as well as my favorite because. <laughs> Like, how is he the only competent one in this whole world? But he's, like, like barely competent. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's still equally as stupid. But I think it's just funny that he he tries to have this main character energy because he's he's reincarnated in this world and he thinks, like, he's out to, to be the hero. But then he gets paired up with all of these stupid people around him. And that's kind of just weighing him down so much <laughs> that I think he's starting to lose that main character energy um, through all the, the hijinks that they have. And I, I guess this is like a good case of like the blind leading the blind. But I think in that sense, it's just funny how like relatable Kazuma is on that level. Yeah, I just love watching his misery because um like I, I love when he call refers to his group as like a freak show <laughs> and like every time like those first couple of episodes where he's meeting the girls for the first time like he meets aqua for the first time and learns she's stupid meets megumin and finds out that she can only use one one move one time a day um and then meets darkness and you know realizes that she's a, a masochist like he just constantly in his inner monologue refers to them as like freaks, basically like these fucking weirdos, but they're like his weirdos and Mm -hmm. like, yeah, he suffers through them, but like, it's so funny to watch him suffer through them because you know, deep down inside he's like, he's got this bond that's growing with them and they touch on that in this season. Um, But he also just like hates all the shit that he, that they put him through. (laughs) It's such a, a great blend. Now, what do you think about the animation? for this show it's weird but like it fits Mm, it's fucking weird now it will change a little bit um with uh the subsequent seasons because it changes hands Um, studio dean did season one yes and i believe two 
uh, Don't Hold Me. Oh, yes. Yeah. Seasons one and two, and then Studio Drive did three. I think JC Staff did the movie, didn't they? Yeah. So <laughs> this this franchise is kind of all over the place in terms of animation. Who's got season four? I thought another studio has a season four. Uh, well, it says here. So, oh, so the Megumin spinoff is done by Drive, and then the third season will also be done by Drive. Okay. Which is set to premiere next the year. The movie was JC Staff. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it's jumped around. Um like it's it's decently consistent. Like there's not a a huge change in the animation style like we've seen with some other shows. Devil's a part-timer is a great example of a pretty drastic animation change or Attack on Titan. I would say that these studios are pretty consistent, but I think season 1 when or season 1 and 2 when it's in the hands of Studio Dean the animation looks the weirdest, but not in a bad mm. way. It's very unique animation, very unique art style, very unique um, character designs, um, at least the the way that the characters are animated. Because there are times where like their faces look weird, like their face facial features look yeah. goofy, but not like a, not in a bad way. Like it just matches the vibe of Konosuba really, really well. Yeah, I was gonna say something similar that the animation feels standard but i think it fits for this kind of show where again i think it doesn't take itself too seriously and it it knows its material is like it's 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 basically parody of isekai right um so in that in that kind of understanding i can kind of forgive the animation for you know not being as as clean as other shows out there and I'm sure there are other isekai that also don't look uh, as as clean cut as the bigger shows out there, or maybe the bigger isekai. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it was very bothersome for me. I mean, there, <laughs> there were certain scenes where you know the animation got really weird, and I forget which episode it is, but it'll come up. I have it in my notes. Um, but yeah, I, I never found myself saying like, "Oh, this is just horrible to look at." Well, jumping from animation to music, this is one of the those rare moments where I actually notice the music. We've talked about this before that I'm not the music aficionado that Carl is. So it usually, like most of the time, music and anime does not stick with me um, unless it's very distinct. The music in Konosuba sticks with me. I can like hear the songs in my head right now as I think about them. Yeah, I ran through uh, a YouTube playlist that had some of the soundtracks from season one um and to give credit where it's due the first season i think all subsequent ones were composed by masato koda and i like the sort of light-hearted and whimsical takes that the composer follows or adheres to when it comes to what you would think of typical isekai or fantasy tunes and then there's also this sort of rural or countryside touch to it. Um, uh, I think, you know, the the only track that I, I do recognize is uh, Megumin's theme, um, just because it's so foreboding and daunting. Oh, when she's going to use explosion? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, but, you know, I, I will say, like, even though that's the only one that, can, that comes to mind right now, um, yeah, the music stands out in its, in its own way in the show. And that leads us to a discussion about the OP and ED for Konosuba Season 1. And to start with the OP, we have the song Fantastic Dreamer by Machiko. 
and visuals wise we just have this focus on Kazuma's I called it isekai harem off on frivolity and adventure I don't think it's really a harem because none of them are trying to make him fall in love with them okay well I have comments about that but oh okay <laughs> um, I guess visuals wise it's just you know typical uh, typical adventure opening styles of visuals so yeah I, I would say um the op is like standard for me it's like got those moments of comedy kind of infused but there are other ops in konosuba that i like better visuals wise um the song's fine like it, it fits the show it almost feels super standard isekai which i think mm-hmm. is fitting because this is making fun of isekai well not making fun of isekai directly but it's like a comedy right so of course that they they go with something that sounds super typical for an isekai yeah very bubbly rock song and i thought it was a pretty good bop even though we skipped over it a majority of the time that we were watching the show uh, and to comment on what you you just said with the lyrics it's sort of a call to the start of a new fantastical adventure. But as I was reading these lyrics, the translations, I was thinking, do they really do a great job on this adventure? And I think that's what it's trying to sort of lampoon. Because you have the opening lines like, in this world I have seen with you, come on, the bell of a beginning resounds. We are fantastic dreamers. Does that come to mind when you think of Kazuma, Aqua, Megumin, or Darkness? Not at all, which is why it's great. Like, it, it's it's almost leading you astray. Like, mm-hmm. it's making you feel comfortable only for you to go into the show. Like, you're, you're probably getting set up thinking like, oh, this is going to be a pretty good isekai, a standard isekai, a very serious isekai. And then you get into it and you're like, this is not at all what I was expecting. Right. And you have other lines like, it's such a wonderful world. Look, a dazzling fair fanfare of light. It's always there waiting for us. And yet Cosmo's like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we turn towards the ED, the title of which is Chisana Bokensha, or Little Adventurer. Uh, this is performed by the VAs from the show. So Sora Amamiya, who plays Aqua, VA Takahashi, who plays Megumin, and Ai Kayano, who plays Darkness. Um, you know, I think this one is more of like a, a time lapse of the town of Axel as, you know, these wacky characters just manage to exist. In it. <laughs> uh, but I, I actually love this song because it goes back to what I said about how the music in the show has that touch of rural or country to it. This is like a slow bluegrass song for these simpletons in the simple town. Yeah, and visual-wise, um, it fits that, I want to say like trope, but that anime trope. <laughs> I'll just say trope. Um, of like the ED focusing on the girls. Um, there's, there's a lot of those that you see out there and it shows them in like really cute situations or really cute outfits it just like fluffs up the girls in the show and it's the same thing here I think a lot of the visuals are focused on the three girls but it's kind of interesting to see them in that light because in the show itself they're constantly portrayed as stupid <laughs> which they are um, but seeing them in like a, a more positive light is a nice change of pace and Lyrics wise for the ED, it's just pure nonsense because I think these characters are <laughs> just that stupid <laughs> in their pursuit of adventure. But uh, of the three 
I guess, verses that are, are sung in the TV size version of the ED. Uh, the first one is the place where I fell, sorry, the place where I fell, stumbled and grazed. Blood is oozing and seeping through, but since it'll heal soon, I'll leave it alone. Tomorrow, a scab will appear. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, okay. <laughs> and then the final verse says, From the south, the wind blows. Suddenly, it starts raining. Spring is next door, or spring is right next door. I have to bring in the laundry. <laughs> I, I don't get it, but you know, it, it just fits with the nature of this show. Fun fact, uh, I read that uh, back in May of 2021, Konosuba was one of five isekai-oriented titles that were given a limited ban by the Russian government for their depiction of reincarnation, which was alleged to encourage suicide by lawmakers. I heard about this. I didn't realize Konosuba was part of that, but I had heard about that whole situation with the ban. Yeah, it just get, makes me think, like, doesn't Russia have more important things to <laughs> worry about than I mean, manga? There, there's, like, other countries that have banned various anime for other interesting or unexpected reasons. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess this is another one of those situations. All right, Strictly fam, get ready for Tractor-kun to ram you right into our synopsis and discussion for Konosuba, also known as... Konosubarashi Sekai ni Shukfukuo, or God's <laughs> Blessing on This Wonderful World, the 2016 adaptation of a light novel series written by Natsume Akatsuki. Produced by Studio Dean and directed by Takaomi Kanasaki, the first season follows teenage Shudden Kazuma Sato as he is reincarnated in an MMORPG-like world filled with fantasy, wonder, and incompetent female companions. In episode one, this self-proclaimed goddess and reincarnation in another world, Kazuma is a neat little boy who unfortunately becomes another statistic in deaths by Truck-kun. He is greeted in the afterlife by a goddess named Aqua, who informs him that he was actually struck by Tractor-kun and to save him from embarrassment in the real world, proposes to reincarnate him in Isekai land to fight the Devil King or send him to heavenly bliss. Kazuma decides on the former and drags Aqua along as a response to her sass, and they slowly find out that having to grind out XP in this MMORPG is a big fucking chore. So I have to maybe not correct, but question what you said in your synopsis. What Doesn't Kazuma not even get hit by the tractor? He dies from the shock oh. of thinking that he got <laughs> <Yeah>. hit. <laughs> just, yeah, I guess just overall a very embarrassing death. <laughs> yeah, and that's like a great way to, to start the show. That's how I knew this was going to be something special. When the main character gets isekai'd, but he doesn't get hit by truck-kun, or even the tractor that he thought was a truck, he dies from the shock of thinking he was getting hit. Just the most like uh, like like embarrassing way possible to start his isekai journey. And I think that's the biggest parody of, of isekai, right? Like always having to get hit by a truck. And here it's it completely flips the script by he, he doesn't get hit. It's actually just him having a heart attack or whatever. And I, li <laughs> I like how <laughs> I think the surgeons who work on him also just start laughing to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, 
Like, why embarrass this guy so much? But it's okay, because sometimes Kazuma has big brain moves. Like, when he fucking chooses Aqua to go with him to his isekai adventure. It's just, it's so unexpected. I thought it was great. And it was pretty much out of spite, right? Because she was kind of ridiculing him. Yeah, he was like, well, fuck it. You're going with me then. (laughs) And then she starts freaking out. She acts all, um, not high and mighty, but you know, well put together and she's a goddess and whatnot. And the second he chooses her to go with and she realizes she can't come back until the demon king is defeated or the devil king, whichever it is, she just like lets loose. So she's a goddess, but then like after this point, it's like she has no abilities or like doesn't capitalize on her abilities. That's the point. She's useless. (laughs) So you're going to, you finally understand, I think watching this season, um, several memes that come from Konosuba, one of them Mm -hmm. being useless aqua. Um, Yes. That is why that meme was so hot after Konosuba came out. Yeah. I I understand. now. (laughs) Uh, And then there was one instance where I I knew like this show was fucking weird. Uh, As soon as the pair end up, in the town there's this i think a shot of like the 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 marketplace and it's there's a it's a very subtle moment but i think there's a mother holding her child and then she maybe it's like she buys a a meat slab and just slaps it on her child (laughs) like (laughs) like uh, to carry home yeah, you had to rewatch that one twice. You're like, wait, go back, go back. <laughs> like, well, what the hell just happened here? That's the kind of humor that just like works. It didn't need to be in there that that quick mm-hmm. moment, but it was, and it it was very unexpected. But it was so funny at the same time. Like, there's just something about the humor here that clicks every time. And the greatest part is you don't have to wait for the comedy to start. It just starts right off the bat mm-hmm. with the show. And I know th- this show tries to establish like a, a kind of skill system or power system with the way that the cards and the XP work. Honestly, I, I didn't really <laughs> follow that at all. I don't know if you did. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm not like an expert in it, but every adventurer has this card and it's essentially like like the HUD on a, you know, in a, in a video game, mm-hmm. except instead of seeing it, because other isekai that have that, video game feel to them like the rising of the shield hero the main character sees it as like you know a hud mm-hmm. um or whatever is, is HUD the, right, the right term for that yeah heads yeah. up display yeah hud um but in this case it's not like that for konosuba instead you have like your card you gain experience and then when you've you know like a video game like when you've had a, when you've gained enough experience you can use it to buy skills um obviously we can't read anything on the card but that's what the card is for it's like a replacement or an alternative to you know a hud that you would see in a video game and then he has to like switch out skills if he wants to learn new skills right is that what that i don't really i'm not really sure about but he can learn skills from other people if they use the skills on him or around him yeah i think i know like this introductory episode establishes all of that but i think what's funny is Again, expecting Kazuma to be the hero of the story. I think his recommendation, based on his stats, was to be a merchant instead of an adventurer. Because his luck is extremely high. Yeah. Which, like, I don't know. Kazuma expects great things, but then like he, he gets recommended to be a merchant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like wanting to be the CEO of a company, 
But then they say, oh, you're better off as an accountant. <laughs> and then the best part is Aqua has like amazing stats because she's a goddess, but her intelligence is really fucking low. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have this montage of the pair of them just doing all this excruciating work to, to level up. Oh my God. The way they animate Cosma um, using like the, the pickaxe to like break apart rocks was so mm -hmm. funny to me. I don't know why it looks so goofy. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I was like, is this what the show's going to be? Like watching Cosma just do these regular ass things instead of going on the adventures and again, facing the devil king. Uh, I don't, that's not necessarily the case because then they go on these kill quests. But again, it, it's, it's things that you wouldn't expect from a show that is about an isekai. In episode two, an explosion for this Chunibyo. After a bad run-in with some of Froppy's lovers, Cosmo and Aqua Moronic put out a job posting on LinkedIn seeking to add another member to their party. The best they can do is Megumin, a magician weeb who thinks she's hot shit with her explosion magic skills but suffers deep fainting spells as a result. In order to avoid a sexual harassment lawsuit, however, Cosmo decides to hire her on. Though with his next recruit, Darkness, he may actually want to file a sexual harassment lawsuit against her. So this is Megumin, huh? I love it. <laughs> yes, my favorite. I love Megumin. Um, I forgot that she gets introduced so quickly in the show. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so funny. Like, I love the introduction for her because she comes in acting all fucking Chunibyo and whatnot. Like a fucking weeb. Yeah, like a fucking like, weeb. Okay, like, this is why. This is why people <laughs> love her, huh? But, like, the best part is after she gives her big fucking speech, you have Cosmo who just looks at her and says, are you trying to make fun of us? <laughs> it's just <laughs> <Yeah>. so funny. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And she's like, no, I actually really need to be in part of a party. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's great because then the, the group successfully completes their first kill quest. And then Megumin because they're like this fucking weed we don't want her around <laughs> she like forces her way into their party and i'm like this is just great it's kind of like when you're at an anime convention and then you have that rando that like talks to you guys and you 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 engage right yeah you talk back to the the rando and then they immediately think that's an invitation to hang out with you for the entire fucking weekend and you're like how do we get rid of this person yeah that actually happened to me at, at one asen because <laughs> Me and a friend were in Call of Duty cosplay. Someone else comes up to us in Call of Duty cosplay. We take a picture with a couple other people, and then they just started walking with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my Megumin. But it's funny because you, you mentioned Kazuma has, he has great luck as, as his stats, but then he has, like, dumb luck with having two idiots on his team now yeah it's ironic because he has luck in the terms of when it comes to like his skills right and what he can do as an adventurer but when it comes to his own personal luck he has like zero because he gets the short end of the stick all the time whether it's his party members or the situations they get themselves into and of course at the end we get that soft intro to darkness and in my head i was like i can't wait for you to meet darkness <laughs> and it it did not disappoint which we'll talk about with the next episode yeah and speaking of which in episode three a panty treasure in this right hand darkness's resume consists of a degree from stormtrooper targeting school and a background in meat shielding all perfectly imperfect experience for Cosmo's circus of an rpg party at the very least 
Darkness's friend Chris shows the neat little boy the hidden art of the panty raid, and the extra-armored exhibitionist later demonstrates how much of her meat she likes to get beat in a freak cabbage battle, leading to the town's bountiful harvest and Cosma's plentiful migraine. So, <laughs> as I was alluding to, when Carl first got introduced to darkness, he was so uncomfortable. And every time there was a darkness, like masochist moment where she starts like moaning, it's voice, yeah, yeah or voice. like her like voice gets like really seduced or whatever. You know, she she starts to get really flustered. He would just sit there and be like, "What the fuck is happening?" Because they don't confirm until a little bit later that she is a masochist. But you slowly, as you see her more and more in the situations that she's in in this uh, this third episode, you slowly start to realize oh she likes this kind of shit she's getting turned on by this kind of shit <laughs> but yeah watching you try to figure that out was so funny you kept asking me what the fuck was going on or what, what her problem is and I'm like you'll see you'll see because <laughs> it's so out of place <laughs> again you have these like knights and these paladins and these witches that have these extraordinary abilities and you have the <laughs> I mean, it, it fits in with like just the incompetent qualities of Kazuma's group, but just one who's who's terrible at like aiming and shooting, basically, and also just has these masochistic tendencies. Like, what does this have to do with a fantasy world? <laughs> Nothing. That's what makes it great. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, later, her boobs get slapped around by a cabbage, and then that gives her a high because she notices like the men are looking at her. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? But it, no, it's it's played to great humor. The other great part of this episode is fucking Cosma stealing the panties. It's so funny because he has abnormally abnormally high luck stats, so of course he's gonna get the one thing he actually wants by using steel. Not, not you know, like the gold or the weapons. What he actually wants are the fucking panties. The panty And right. I love the whole sequence of him using steel for the first time because um, you have him like waving the panties around after screaming, steel! Like, I love the way his voice actor screams the word steel. And I want to say it's in that same episode where they animate his hand kind of like... Um, no, like, it's, it's a different episode. Oh, it's a different one? Okay. Yeah. yeah, but like the whole Steel saga, because it's like a saga that, that happens across many episodes, is just so fucking funny. I'm staring at a gif right now of, of Kazuma twirling the panty around in the air and just voicing how much, like how happy he is with his victory. <laughs> oh, man. What a weird fucking show. <laughs> In episode four, explosion magic for this formidable enemy. With hunting quests at an all-time low due to the threat of a devil king general in their area, Kazuma decides to accompany Megumin in honing her explosion magic skills on an abandoned castle because explosions must be really difficult to make. Turns out the castle was the Airbnb for the devil king general himself, Verdia the Dullahan, who inadvertently places a curse on Darkness that was intended for Megumin. With Darkness succumbing to the curse within a week's time unless Megumin agrees to challenge Verdia, the explosion enthusiast musters up the strength and the courage to face the Dullahan head-on in his dangerous abode to save her beleaguered friend. Oh, never mind. Aqua fixed her. She's fine. So I want to start off by calling out a moment in this episode where um, everyone's collecting cabbage, 
for, well, in the last episode, they were collecting cabbage as part of this quest. And then in the beginning of this episode, they're talking about how much cabbage they got, but Aqua mixed up lettuce as cabbage um, and got nothing out of the whole thing. Um, this is the reverse of what Carl did somewhat recently. <laughs> that was not... <laughs> okay, let me tell the story. Let me cook. Let me cook. Let me cook. Okay. So we were... Um, we had like a weekend away with our friends and um, the guys went out to buy groceries. Um, <laughs> this was our own Kono Suba moment. Oh, <laughs> and God. so they come back, they grill, um, and that night we had like burgers and hot dogs and whatever. And so I'm making a burger, right? And I look down at the plate of vegetables and I, I put some tomato, I put some onion on there, and I was going to put some lettuce on there. And I was like, why is this lettuce so thick? Why is it so thick? dense why does it look rubbery and i'm like this looks like fucking cabbage <laughs> and lo and behold it was and so everyone had to have cabbage on their burgers instead of lettuce i mean i still ate it i fucking love cabbage but it's just so funny that there was like what three of you four of you yeah it was uh no it was three of us guys there you go so out of three guys none of you realized that you grabbed cabbage instead of lettuce okay. for the burgers well it wasn't me who grabbed the cabbage <laughs> um and you know i should i should get some credit because one of the other guys was going to grab uh, a cheese like for tacos and it was chihuahua cheese but i knew that some of our friends uh, like they're expecting so i had to point this out to him and he's like oh good call so that was that was good on my part. I didn't. I was not involved in the whole cabbage <laughs> lettuce situation, but yeah, I, I'd like credit for that at least. Okay, well, one of you did the reverse of Aqua. I don't know who it was, but I that just reminded me of that weekend when I saw that Aqua mixed up cabbage and lettuce and got nothing out of the whole quest. Anyways, what what the fuck was this episode? <laughs> it was great. It's so fucking funny that you have like Kazuma and Megumin um, bonding over like her need to use explosion magic once a day. And it's so like positive. It's so great. And then you find out that the castle sheet that they thought was abandoned <laughs> had not just anybody living in it, but a leader of the Devil King's army. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love the montage of Megumin practicing on the casual yeah because she keeps saying the the explosion thing that's part of her incantation or whatever but then every time like it cuts back to her the word explosion gets shorter so it's like explosion then plosion then lotion or, or whatever <laughs> uh, i don't know like just to symbolize that she's somehow making progress um yeah, of all the targets, it had to be the one that had the the Devil King's general residing in it. It was great. It was great. And this episode is also, by the way, the start of my favorite Hi Cosmo does. Mm -hmm. I was like looking for it, and finally it popped up in episode four, and I loved it. But yeah, it's great because um, the Doolahan or like the the Devil King leader, or whatever, um, you know goes to the town and it's like who the fuck keeps blowing up my castle over and over and over again and then you have this whole drawn out mental battle between the Doolahan um and i think darkness right because she's he's trying to act all serious but then her masochist side comes out when she's like you're gonna kidnap me and take me back to your castle and you're gonna do all sorts of things to me and he's like yo what the fuck dude <laughs> exactly and then it ends up that Aqua isn't useless for once because she's able to thwart off the uh, the Doolahan or the the Devil King oh, yeah. leader. 
And it just shows that, like, yes, she is actually a goddess and has immense power, but she's just too stupid to know how to use it. She's the Okuyasu of Konosuba. Yeah, I think once we saw that resolution at the end, like, I wasn't infuriated, (laughs) but I was just like, what the fuck? Like, that's how that's how this is resolved? Like, they don't even have to face the Dullahan? And I know this comes <laughs> up later, which is brilliant. Um, but it's like, I thought like Aqua was just picking and choosing when to be useful. Because it was her that used the sacred break spell here. Because previously in the episode, you know, she's crying because Kazuma tells the group that they're so ineffective at at being skilled or whatever that they probably couldn't defeat the devil king and again aqua goes into this crying session but i was thinking like aren't you a goddess like this should be this should be like a walk in the park for you but like you said i think she just picks and chooses when to be useful (laughs) yeah i know it's it's great and i love the whole doolahan saga as it unfolds over a couple of episodes because he's constantly getting embarrassed He's embarrassed because someone keeps blowing up his castle. And then he's embarrassed because darkness starts being all fucking weird when he's trying to be serious. And then to your point later on, he's embarrassed because he's like, he had this challenge out to them to come fight him before darkness dies. And then like no one fucking showed up. Like it's so good. (laughs) In episode five of Price for this Magic Sword, Aqua Moronic decides to make herself useful by purifying a lake filled with alligators. Though with Kazuma and company turning it into a cage match, it leaves her with major outdoor PTSD. Another isekai imbecile, Kyoya, takes note of her emaciated condition and threatens to take her from Kazuma's party. But the neat little boy steals his cursed sword and his manhood faster than you can say panty raid. Kazuma subsequently and absentmindedly sells the sword faster than you can say Amazon Prime, while Verdia the Dullahan returns and wonders why the fuck Megumin hasn't shown up for her duel faster than you can say missed connections. So the the whole lake quest is funny because it's very simple. There's like nothing that really happens, but Aqua, like, she's the most equipped to do it, but it has to be put in like the most danger. And I love that, like, she's just sitting there for hours, just, like, slowly purifying the lake. And then when she's getting attacked, she's, like, freaking out and using the max amount of her power, which she just should have used in the beginning anyway, instead of sitting there for hours. Because mm-hmm. it took seven hours, I think. For... Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Like, this part reminded me of the um, SpongeBob Indoors episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where, like, he it's exposed to all these dangerous things in the outside world and then <laughs> like aqua being traumatized and in tears while she's being caged in was like i don't know this is kind of the onus is on you here for not taking this job too seriously and then when they meet Kyoya, to your your earlier point about how Kazuma has this like main character energy and he thinks this is his time to shine um, now that he's going from his like boring life in Japan to this adventurous life in this new world, but nothing's going well for him. Kyoya is what Kazuma wanted the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So of course, Kazuma has to fucking ruin his day <laughs> and bring him down 10 notches by stealing his sword and selling it <laughs> and making him completely useless. And it's just brilliant that, you know, Kyoya challenges Kazuma to this fight after seeing what's happened to Aqua. And the expectation is that 
you know, it'll be this whole grand battle between the both of them. But I love that Kazuma just steals, like he uses the steel skill just to immediately take his, his sword. And it's a very practical move on his part because afterwards he says, well, that's what you get for challenging a beginner adventurer when you know I can't hold my own against you. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just Cosmo thinking in terms of like this whole world being like an RPG. And then, of course, you have Kyoya thinking that Cosmo is like a terrible leader for their party and invites all of the girls to join his party instead. Normally, in anime, in the situation, the girls would be like, no, we're not going to go with you because they've made a strong bond or a strong connection with Kazuma and they'd never leave him. But in this case, because it's Konosuba, they don't want to go with Kyoya because they think he's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this is where you have that fucking weird shot of Kazuma's hands, like his pervy hands. Oh, yeah. Right? like That was great animation. Just the way they animated <laughs> so, his fingers. Like, so that was dumb, so good. Like, they, they have to add that? They no, didn't have to add that, but, but they did, and it is fucking great. Yeah. And then at the end, this is where <laughs> Verdia shows up and is like, why the fuck didn't anyone come to my castle? <laughs> In episode six, a conclusion to this worthless fight. I didn't realize that was the episode title, but apparently Megumin still likes practicing her explosive magic on Verdia's Airbnb, so he has a right to be angry and send a whole-ass army of the undead after Kazuma and company and town and country until Kazuma discovers that he is weak against water-type Pokemon and Aquamoronic sends a whole-ass flood to incapacitate him and decapitacitate him. The RPG party should have gotten liability insurance, however, as the subsequently sunken town puts them subsequently in sunken debt. I love how every fucking fight, the group is not coordinated. It's pure chaos among the four of them. They cannot get their shit together, especially here where, yeah, they defeat the Doolahan, but it's only because Aqua's pissed at Cosma for calling her useless, so she overdoes it and, mm -hmm. like, floods the entire city and now they're in debt. <laughs> And I like, I like how well, we didn't talk about this at the end of the last episode. Um, Kazuma just absentmindedly sold the sword. Right? Yeah. Sword. <laughs> and, you know, I think Kyoya was supposed to be the town's ace in the hole to face the Doolahan, but obviously he's shit out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the consequence of that happening here, I just thought that was... That was brilliant. Yeah, I love how everything's pretty interconnected. Like, there's... there's there's a reason things are happening instead of like things happening for the sake of the humor in the show. Mm -hmm. They're happening for both the sake of the humor in the show, but also, you know, to, to progress the story or like you said, a consequence later down the road. And then darkness being the meat shield again and showing off her, her love of exhibitionism <laughs> against the Doolahan. Like why <laughs> it just made me so uncomfortable. But again, that's that's the purpose of her character. Hey, it made the Doolahan uncomfortable too. <laughs> yeah. And then he eventually gets his head caught off. And then I think they use it as a, as a soccer ball. Yeah. Just really downplaying the seriousness of this whole situation. <laughs> um, and then I thought this was kind of cool. And not cool, but interesting that... You know, Kazuma is, has to foot the bill for the damage done to the town, which is like 300 million... I think the, the currency is called Ares. Um, reminding me of like how like 
this show kind of plays by Animal Crossing rules with with debt. Like you're always going to be in debt and never to get ahead as much as you'd like to be. Um, all of this thanks to Aqua, and I think it also just shows like taking a step back and looking at isekai or even just any any action oriented anime in general like the realistic consequences of a town or an area having been destroyed by a major fight like, yeah who's gonna be responsible for that <laughs> like paying for those damages and and renovations and such in episode seven a second death in this freezing season like any average person who has accumulated an exorbitant amount of debt Kazuma decides to take his brainless bunch to participate in snow sprites for cash, which unfortunately puts his neck at the sword's end of their winter shogun protector. He ends up back in the afterlife waiting room, now presided over by Eris, who promises to reincarnate him as the next Japanese Jeff Bezos, although Kazuma tearfully starts to realize that maybe the real treasure was the idiots he befriended along the way. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, Aqua Moronic had already summoned his return to Isekai land without his consent. So let's see if he really does treasure them. So now that you've been introduced to Eris, 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 um, you do know what's going on with Eris and Aqua in terms of like this Isekai world? No, I just thought she was Aqua's replacement. So um, you'll learn more about this in future seasons, but they do hint at it a lot here. Aqua, there's two religious sects. Oh, right. There's mm-hmm. Aquas and then there's Arises. So Axis and whatever the other one. Yeah. Was. So like the the um currency is called Eris because uh, it's the more popular religion. Oh. I think the Aqua religion is like the bigger one, but the more popular and like nicer religion i guess is the heiress one which is why aqua gets pissed that the currency is called heiress she gets pissed when she meets anybody who um is of the heiress religion instead of her religion so yeah you'll, well, you, well, there's I don't blame them <laughs> there it, it they expand on this in future seasons but it it's like the foundation is laid here in season one okay that's very subtle then but i like it <laughs> But yeah, with this episode, it's um, it's a, a moment of seriousness that we just don't often get in Konosuba. But I really, really appreciate this episode because, of course, Kazuma is like at his wit's end with these girls. But you see here, he has this chance to be reincarnated back into Japan, living a very luxurious and very comfortable life. But then when he thinks that's what he wants he sheds a tear unexpectedly at the thought of leaving the girls behind and says he wants to adventure with them a little bit longer or would have liked to adventure with them You're a little sure bit longer. About that? Yeah. <laughs> of course I'm sure he immediately regrets that. Um but I like that. Like I like that the creator infused this quick moment here to show that yeah, Kazuma can't stand these girls for the most part, but really like their time together is meaningful. And that hints, I think, maybe at like a larger like plot point or it just it helps to drive the story forward because there are actually bonds forming here between these characters. You sure about that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for me, this was just kind of a a tropey thing where, yeah, you reflect on the journey so far and you realize, oh, it has been worthwhile. But I love how this trope still gets flipped on its head 
because as much as Kazuma is like ready to begin his next adventure as a wealthy Japanese uh, heir or whatever, like you faintly hear Aqua fucking around in the distance <laughs> um, and inadvertently summoning him back to the isekai world basically without him having decided like you know what i want to go back you know what i mean like yeah it's like he didn't he wasn't given that choice it was more like aqua robbed him of the choice and that's what sets him back to (laughs) sets him back to being like i can't believe i'm around these fucking idiots in episode eight a loving hand for our party when we can't make it through winter to beat the coldness of the winter and of their own hearts, Kazuma and Aqua Moronic go for tea time at a cafe run by benevolent devil king general Wiz Kalicha, who teaches the neat little boy the drain touch skill, lest he need it in two or so episodes. Wiz also informs the party of an old haunt with some old haunts that they could use as an Airbnb for the winter if they can exercise its spirits. One army of dolls and a convoluted aquamoronic mishap later, Casa de Kazuma is ready for move-in. Let's just hope they have a better heat source than Kazuma's tracksuit. So you were confused about Wiz, and that's totally normal. I was also confused about Wiz when I first watched. For some reason, I kept thinking that there was like an OVA that explains um, how the group met Wiz. I think I'm incorrect. I think the OVA for this season is a side adventure that does involve Wiz, but it doesn't explain how they met. Like they Mm. briefly touch on it. So I had to um, Google like how the group met or how Kazuma and Aqua met Wiz and that whole situation they were referring to where like they were at the cemetery and Aqua had to fill in for Wiz. Um, so yeah, I think the best I can say is like, just go Google the, the backstory on it so you can understand like how they met her. I'm guessing this is a moment where they just couldn't find the time in these 10 episodes to include that introduction, that formal mm. introduction to Wiz. Um, and then they decided to just touch on it very briefly. Yeah, this episode was hard to follow just because they kind of just dropped Wiz on our laps. Uh, I know like they briefly mentioned what had happened in the earlier part of the episode, but even at the end, I w- I'm still confused on like how Aqua had kind of orchestrated this whole thing to happen with the mansion being haunted. So I think when that guy comes into Wiz's shop and says to Wiz, like, we need help with something, I think that's when Cosma's group steps in and mm-hmm. takes on the task because this mansion is haunted and Wiz is able to guide spirits, like, to the next world or whatever, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they Cosmos group takes on the task instead to exercise the the spirits in the mansion. So in exchange for doing that task, they get to stay in this mansion because mm-hmm. they need to stay there in order to to complete that task. Does that make sense? Yes. But it was something about like Aqua is the reason that the spirits ended up in the mansion. Okay, if I remember, I think what happened there is when when Cosma and Aqua met Wiz, Wiz was 
Originally. Yeah, originally. Wiz was like guiding the spirits or like helping the spirits in that cemetery, which is right next to where the mansion is. Mm -hmm. So something happens to Wiz, like Aqua fucks up, right? And like something happens to Wiz where she can't do that. So Aqua has to step in and take Wiz's place with helping guide these spirits. But Aqua's lazy. So instead of guiding them, she puts a barrier on the cemetery, thinking that that'll deter them from going to the cemetery in the first place. <laughs> okay. But because they can't go to the cemetery, they go to the mansion. So now the mansion's fucking haunted. And that's why the guy's like, it's someone to exercise all of these mm -hmm. spirits that are in the mansion. So the whole issue started with Aqua in the first place. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, that, that's, I think that's the point of this episode again to highlight. Aqua's incompetence and, and you said it earlier how things that happen in this show uh like like kind of have like consequential effects I mean here we didn't really see that with um Wiz being introduced but just oh just the fact that all of this was basically caused because of something Aqua fucked up on yeah <laughs> um <laughs> it just contributes again to her, her <laughs> sort of idiotic Idiotic nature. Um, I th the other thing that bothered me about this episode is just the, the dolls. Yeah, you were like genuinely scared of because the dolls. <laughs> it, it, this was a thing in childhood. Like my sister. I don't you got know if, attacked by dolls? No. But <laughs> I don't know if this was my sister's doll, but she had like this porcelain doll in her closet. And like it would just freak me out, you know, if I were to go to into her room in the evening. Um, just knowing that there was this doll staring back at you in her closet and you know you don't know if these dolls will come to life and maybe she put it you. there to keep you out of her room maybe <laughs> but like i don't even know where she got this doll in the first place it just like appeared in this house in our house at some point and i don't know where that doll is now i don't want to know where that doll is now but you know the scene where <laughs> i think they're starting to chase Cosmo or whatever. Like, I, I, that's one of my nightmares. <laughs> well, I enjoyed this episode because I love any moments between Cosmo and Megumin because I ship the shit out of them. I ship Cosmo and Megumin so hard. So, yeah, I was looking forward to revisiting this episode and watching the two of them dodge the dolls of the mansion. I see them more as like Cosmo's the older brother and she's the the younger sister. Nah, no? hell nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I ship them. I'm waiting for this shit to happen. I want them to be canon. <laughs> I forgot. That there's also the scene where <laughs> Cosmo gives the pot to Megumin to pee in. Oh yeah. <laughs> like you think you think these two you can ship these two. Hell yeah. I, do. I love when she's sitting know. in the toilet and like the door is closed, but she keeps calling out to Cosmo like, you're still there, right? Like I I used to be like that as a kid. We're all, we're all, we were all like that as kids, right? Where you're afraid to go to the bathroom at night. So you need someone like your sibling or your parent to like stand outside the door. That was me. <laughs> and poor Cosmo has to hold it in. And then he sees the dolls on the hall. <laughs> and they're just looking uh, at him. Oh my God, this is another weird fucking episode. But anyways, on to episode nine, God's blessing on this wonderful shop. Kazuma decides he needs to detach from his problems by rubbing one out and arranges for an erotic dream play session at a local brothel run by Succubi. The session takes place after a succulently sexualized crab dinner, but Kazuma mistakenly believes darkness to be part of the package. 
though her exhibitionly instincts say otherwise. Aquamoronic then misinterprets the whole thing as a succubus trying to infiltrate their less-than-humble abode, leading to a less-than-clean resolution. But none of this etchy shit matters because Growl's traversing citadel is on the move. So I'm guessing, and I have no idea because I've never actually looked it up, but in the beginning, Kazuma meets up with those two guys, right? And he says, like, oh, these are, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, they're, like, people we met on adventures or whatever. Like, clearly he knows these two guys. I'm wondering if that's also something that they didn't adapt from the manga because it just or seemed... light novel. A light novel, yeah. Like, it just seems like that is something significant like those two individuals are significant um to Cosmo in some way but just not in the anime because we were just introduced to them like oh yeah Cosmo knows these two guys right like they could have just been two random dudes or there could have been a different way that Cosmo got introduced to the brothel or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah I don't know I, I should I should look it up I haven't looked it up but I'm wondering if that is a part of the light novel that we didn't get to see in the anime yeah I mean I'd don't think knowing about Keith and Dust that much matters as much as knowing about Wiz because right, yeah. I think that was more central to the previous episode, whereas here, it, Keith and Dust, I think their names were, um, it's more of them helping Cosmo get from point A to point B. Um, and just this really fucking etchy episode. Like, <laughs> With really high quality animation. Yeah. Like, like very high quality. Like the succubus that speaks to Cosmo. Like, why does she have to move so scandalously as she, she talks to him? It's etchy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, animation was just spent on that scantily clad walk. But the whole episode was just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it was just crab like crab meat. Yeah. Oh, oh man, wow. that was the best animation. Seeing that like giant piece of crab meat that was it Aqua pulled out of that that shell. I was like, ooh. Like yeah. That okay. That sexual things aside was very satisfying i know i was like fuck the edgy i want to see more of this crab yeah. that is phenomenal you know, <laughs> getting like the crab legs at a restaurant and and breaking the shell in the right spot to pull out that piece of meat i know that sounds really weird but oh man like that's that's heaven right there that's satisfying and just what makes this episode wilder is the whole dream sequence where cosma thinks that the the succubus is dressed up as darkness and that that's just part of the role play like what the hell is, it's like what the fuck happened is happening in this in this episode it's so great because yeah darkness is like torn between like how pissed she is at Cosma for acting that way but then also her mask aside is like this is exactly the kind of situation that darkness enjoys yeah but then I love how it kind of delves into like sitcom territory where, of course, you find out that the succubus hadn't even arrived yet. But then Aqua just thinks it's this whole thing. And it's just misinterpreted that all of it is just misinterpreted because Cosmo just wanted to rub one out. <laughs> like, and as much as I keep saying, like, what the fuck was this episode with every episode? I can't blame the humor for just being so spot on and in the final episode for season one episode 10 a final flame for this over-the-top fortress despite aqua moronic's proposal to nigerundayo the fuck out of town 
Kazuma counter proposes that they fight for their MMORPG town because their Airbnb is too sweet to pass up. Also, Darkness's real name is Dustiness Ford La Latina because that information is key to defeating Growl's traversing Citadel. And thus, everyone basically throws all their martial magic and muscles at the fortress, which in turn activates its self-destruct mode. So Kazuma and Wiz Kalicha take its power source and push it somewhere else, while Megumin finally puts her explosion magic experience to good use. And just when you think they all lived happily ever after, a warrant is issued for Kazuma's arrest for destruction of property caused by the teleported power source. What a Subarashi Sekai. Another great moment of comedy is when Darkness shares her real name and it's a very like somber moment. Like she's not sure if she's going to make it out of this alive. Um, she wants to uphold, you know, the, the honor of a, of a knight um, and do her part. And like Cosmo's there like supporting her and he's like, okay, I understand it. And then right at the very end, he's like, La Latina. And she's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I mean, that aside, I guess this episode kind of does show the group's competence in using their magical and combat skills. It's the first time they're fucking coordinated, albeit mm-hmm. just for a little bit. But hey, they were coordinated. I did feel like, though, that the ending of this episode was kind of rushed. Like, it was a fun episode overall. It was very, you know, climactic. They they defeated this giant fortress. I also love the fucking fortress. The the dude's diary where he's like, I'm oh, fucked. Right. They wanted me to make this thing. I didn't want to make <laughs> it, but I made it. And now it's too powerful. And I don't know how to stop it. So I'm just going to fucking live here. And just that's it. <laughs> that was so fucking good. And I think he was also isekai'd into this world from japan i think so yeah Yeah. it was just it was so great i'm like like, that was completely unexpected (laughs) yeah there too it's like when you expect these these sorts of uh destructive machines to appear in a fantasy world you think there's like a a valid reason for their creation some like crazy mastermind behind it and like they have some weird twisted altruistic view of the world no it's like he couldn't control his own creation so he's like fuck it i'm just gonna die here oh god but yeah the the ending of the episode itself did feel a little bit rushed um it's going to play right into the next season so it's it's fine but um as like a standalone season i was like damn they really hustled through the last moments of this episode when they're kind of you know bringing things full circle after the fortress is defeated yeah, I wonder why they only chose 10 episodes. And th- that's the format for the the next season too, right? I think all of them are 10. Yeah, season two is also 10 episodes. Yeah, I wonder why instead of like the traditional 12 or 13. I do wonder if they had one or two more episodes if they could have adop- adapted um, Wiz's actual introduction when she meets Kazuma and Aqua. But either way, it was a good end to the season. Um, it was still a really funny episode. And I mean, it had me hooked to watch season two. Yeah. And just seeing Kazuma lament some more about this wonderful world. And that brings us to our final thoughts for Konosuba season one. So how many Kamikazumas out of 10 would you give this season? I would give it a solid eight out of 10. This is a really good comedy adventure anime um it's 
it's one where, as I mentioned earlier, it has a goal in mind. Granted, it's progressing to that goal pretty slowly in season one, but you do see progress, right? Like we know that the ultimate goal is to defeat the Devil King so that Kazuma, or really Aqua, can go home and Kazuma can be, you know, the adventurer he always wanted to be. Um, and we we see them make progress towards that. Like they learn new skills, they, you know, gain experience. Um, they move up a little bit when they go from living in the stables to having a place to actually live when the, they come across the mansion. But we're not getting like a ton of progress toward the Devil King end goal yet. But it is nice to know that there is a story here. There is something that we're working towards because there's been so many other comedy anime where it just relies on the comedy and you kind of have like that comedy of the week, that comedy of the episode um, format. I like that there's something that that we're working toward with Konosuba. But the the key here, the reason I like the show so much is that the humor hits, like I said, without trying too hard. There's just these little moments that don't need to be there, that don't really make any sense, like the high Kazuma desu, or like you said, the the mother slapping her baby with the the meat, um, or you know, the the nonsense with the doula hand. Like all of that doesn't need to be there necessarily but it's there, it works, and it always makes sense. There's never a moment of humor or a moment of comedy where I'm like, oh, that didn't really work, or oh, that was that was a little too try hard, or oh, that wasn't really that funny. I, I love every moment in Konosuba. So yeah, I've, I really enjoy this show. I'm happy to be rewatching it. And I think that this first season, again, is a solid eight out of 10, well worth the watch. What about you? I would give this an eight and a half out of 10. In my limited knowledge of the genre, I think that this series does well to flip the typical script on Isekai and imbue it with a facetious quality that ends up making it more enjoyable than I had anticipated. And I'm surprised we haven't said this yet, but dare I say it subverted expectations. But there isn't anything visually that could make this stand out from any other isekai or fantasy series to me, but Konosuba's strongest selling point is its deadpan and tongue-in-cheek humor with its wild assortment of characters and unexpected outcomes of typical situations, which are enough for me to justify why this series is so beloved in the anime community. While I don't think there is really anything remotely redeeming about Kazuma and his party, Though Kazuma makes a concerted effort to keep their sinking ship afloat, I think the fact that these characters from very different walks of life can come together and manage to do something worthwhile is what gives this series its charm. Almost like a variation of it's not about the destination, it's the journey, or more appropriately, it's not about the intelligence, it's about the experience. And I can't wait to experience what happens next in season two. Wow. I was actually going to ask if you would watch season two. Yeah, I think I'm hooked on the show. There's a movie though, right? Is it before season two or after? It's after. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a season three that's confirmed, but the movie, the movie's canon, I'm like 99% sure. Um, and it takes place before the third season. So... Look forward to that. I guess we're going to be watching season two of Konosuba. Yes, we are. (laughs) 
Hi, Cosmo does. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, thank you guys as always for tuning in. We appreciate you so, so much. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord and chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and to Mrs. Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.